0: netsuite. dot com slash WTF.
1: Lock the gates.
0: All right, let's do this. How are you? What the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fuck, nicks? What the fuck, publicans? What the fuckocrats? What's happening? I am Mark Marin. This is WTF. This is my podcast. You're listening to it. I assume it's not the first time. So welcome. Welcome back. Uh, And if it is your first time, welcome uh, for the first time. How are you? What's going on? Today, my guest is uh, Will Arnett from Arrested Development and many other things. Also, he's got his uh, show on Netflix called Flaked. He's the voice of the Lego Batman which is very popular with the adults and children alike. So I'll be talking to him in a little while. But, you know, I spent years not making this a political show and making it a human show. And I'd like to continue making it a human show. But, uh, you know, things have gotten very urgent. But let's assume that there will be other elections. Let's assume that this is not... uh, the president for life situation, let's assume that the process will pick up again in a couple of years in some of these special elections. Let's assume that, you know, just to, you know, indulge me. We found out about this uh, new group because they have the same uh, name as us. They're called WTF, but for them it stands for Win the Future. Their whole point is to turn all this energy that you see in the streets and at town halls and on social media into election results next year. There's a lot of work to do, and there are more than 2,500 critical competitive races in states across the country. So if you're wondering how you can get involved in an active way, this WTF group has set up a way where you can get involved where you're needed most. The website is volunteer.wtf their switchboard is now active and matching volunteers with campaigns around the country so go get involved at volunteer.wtf and i've been thinking a lot you know when i take time away from my phone and the the sort of um the panic of uh refreshing your browser about you know personally you know what is horrifying to me. You know, outside of politics and what politicians do and how they're fucking with people, is that I've been through elections before, I've been through different presidencies before. And the fact is is that look, I talk to people for a living. I've always talked to people for a living. Basically, that's what I've done whether it's on stage or for the past 8 or 9 years one-on-one here intimately. And I've always had to believe and I still do believe that that when you sit down with somebody one on one, that you can talk to a human being, that you can talk to a person, that if you put aside uh, ideological um, matters, political matters that, you know, we share more than we don't, that we have things in common more than we don't. That our frustrations are probably more similar than they aren't. How we resolve them and who we are personally in in our fear or our anger or our desperation or our hopelessness or our excitement or fury or um, vulnerability is common where we're human beings. And I like that dialogue. A lot is learned from people over the course of this show. Many people without designation politically and without even you know not even knowing where they come from. I get emails all the time about the struggles of you know whether it's drug addiction, psychological problems, anger, uh, financial issues, dark times of whatever kind or another. You know who feel uplifted by hearing other people talk about personal things. You know that's what you being a human is for to, you know, sort of carry the weight and burden and be there to listen to other people. And it just fucking terrifies me that we're not going to be able to get back to that, even with our differences. That becomes frightening. There is a a frenzy towards negligence in the name of money and power that has very little to do With most of us. So I get this email. It just says from a fan. Hey, Mark, there's a pretty good chance this will get drowned out, but it's worth a shot. I want to ask you, how is it that you create such an intimate experience for the people you interview? There's truth in all your interviews. And that's what's captivated me from the first episode I heard. I'm doing an assignment where I choose to do some community journalism and I want to ditch the Q&A format. There's no longer any truth in it. Hmm. Do you think that the way you conduct interviews could ever be translated into other kinds of journalism? I really hope so. Anyways, if there's any advice that you could give me on how to allow people to converse in other places as fluidly as as they do in the garage, I'm very interested in hearing it. I've been a fan for maybe seven years now, and your honesty provided something very special that teenagers don't get from adults very often. I'm headed off to college soon, and you've provided valuable insight, and I'm sure will help guide my creative intentions for the rest of my life. I want to thank you and wish you all the best. Many respects. Jose. Jose, I've been conducting these type of conversations throughout my life. And and if I really trace the roots of it is that I think when I was younger, like when I was in high school, I I didn't have a real concept of of uh, you know a lot of things like you know what I was supposed to do, who I was supposed to be, who I was, you know what my interests were specifically and you know my father was not that uh, attentive really. So I found myself kind of hanging around places and talking to people that seemed like they knew those things, who they were, what they wanted to do, what the world was about, uh, you know how to be funny and and you know take life uh, on life's terms, you know, kind of own it. So I would hang around bookstores, restaurants, record shops, guitar shops in my neighborhood and just, you know, listen to people talking and talk to them and ask them questions and sort of, you know, just listen to how people navigate their interests and the world. It would make me feel better to be around people that seem to have a handle on shit. And I've done that all my life. So I think that, you know, I don't consider what I do journalism, but I think that again, if you approach people as people. I mean, if you approach somebody knowing what you want to talk to them about, you know, maybe, you know, talk to them about something else for a few minutes first, you know, ask them questions that involve the immediate environment or or what's happening. I don't know what the setting is. You know, maybe say like, you know, I I don't quite understand this. And, you know, maybe before I ask you this general question about a general thing, maybe you could educate me on something and then get a little back and forth going about the nuances of a particular topic. And don't be afraid to do follow-up questions. You know, there are certain moments in a conversation where you pick up an instinct where people just sort of blow by a detail. But if anything, during what somebody is saying to you as they just move by it, you know seems like something that has more to it, uh, you know, and you're interested in that or you, it piques your interest, you know, get into that. Ask them what they mean by it. You know, have a conversation. That's the best that I can offer, and that's the way that you you know you find common ground and also you you get information. Just try to talk to people. you know if it, you know if there's if it's not you know pressing or groundbreaking or you, you know there's there's not breaking news. Just try to talk to the person that you're talking to and uh, you'll make what you want to know sort of uh, secondary and see if it comes up organically. I, I, you know, look, I can't teach a journalism class, but, you know, if you've got the time, that's what I would do. So I guess uh, I talked to Will a few days ago and I guess I should preface this because, you know, it was the day that the North Korean government uh, launched a test missile. So that, that, there's a, a bit of uh, thematic underlying stuff there. That was the subtext of my conversation with Will. Also, Will is the voice of Batman in the Lego Batman movie, currently the number one movie in the country. This is me and uh, Will Arnett. what's happening will i I haven't talked to you in a long time i know has it been like i didn't realize like um do you live by me where do you live over there i live over there you do
2: yeah Live in the in the shit, as yeah. we say. I mean, it's a little different from the actual shit from <laughs> Vietnam, but
0: it's a. Uh, you mean the the nice shit? It's
2: the nice shit. Yeah, yeah.
0: The the place where uh, the you know the the up uh, the the elite live. I suppose I'm I'm right in. I'm cozy
2: with the Hollywood elite, and uh, <laughs> it's where they put signs up excusing the the lack of uh, green grass on the boulevards because of the drought. <laughs>
0: Really? That's. You know, like, please forgive our appearance, it, yeah. but we're all hurting. Yeah, that kind of thing. Something like that. Uh, what? Um. But where do you come from, man? I don't. I don't really like. I realized when I was like trying to do research, which I'm not good at, that uh, I, I know nothing about you. You're just a a funny man that uh that appears in things. I kind of appeared out of nowhere. Really? Um,
2: yeah. Even, even people that I sort of know. Uh. Y- you know. I. You and I don't know each other that well, but when people say I didn't know that, I'm like, thanks for googling me. <laughs>
0: you know jesus christ you could find out a lot about me in two seconds sure well you know you can do that but i have had experiences where i'll google somebody and and it's all the it's all wrong really uh, definitely like de- there was i think it was pam adlon i googled her because i was going to talk to her and there was just all this information about someone who was her father and this her stepfather and it, none of it was real Wait, what kind of sordid past does Pam Adler have? <laughs> None she, of it. She did. She didn't. Yeah. Like, but she, I thought she was connected to someone who was in the film business or a direct, It just turned out as I talked to her that a, a good chunk of the information on her Google, on her Wikipedia, Wikipedia page was bullshit. I love. You've probably
2: talked to, or and or thought about this a million times. Well, I love the people uh, when new when some sort of news item drops about somebody. You know, they die or whatever. Yeah. Um, and the people who are ready. To, to alter the Wikipedia page to that effect.
0: I, it's, who are they? Who the fuck are they? What are they doing? I don't, I don't know how mine appeared. I, <laughs> no, I, no. I, I don't know who's in charge of it or who did. Did you make yours? No, I have nothing
2: to do with it. I yeah. have zero idea. And what I love is the idea. Honestly, if you watch the next time, like a celebrity dies, yeah. Yeah. the second you find out about it, go yeah. to Wikipedia and someone's done it because you'll, you'll get like a breaking news thing or whatever. And yeah. just, if you can think about it, go to Wikipedia and it'll be there.
0: And he died on January. 12th, Already. And you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. Who, I don't know who does, like, who are the people that are overseeing it? I know. I, I don't even know how it works to be honest with you. No. Will. I, I wish I did. I know that anyone, the idea is anyone can do it, but there's some sort of uh, oversight somewhere eventually. Well, it gives you pause when you start thinking
2: uh, that, that that is possible, that that anybody can, can go do it. And it calls into question uh, um the the sort of the legitimacy of anything that we read, right? Well, that's happening on a large scale now, on, on a very large <laughs> scale. But that's this this has been happening for a long time. With so Wikipedia, it, with Wikipedia, and you have to, um, you know, in a court of law, it's it's the the old if, if if a witness is caught lying, immediately the lawyers will say, "Sorry, but this person's credibility is called," and everything they now say henceforth, yeah, has to be taken with a grain of salt, right? Um, and if you apply that to what's going on right
0: now, uh-huh. you'd think that people would would kind of wise up, and yet they don't seem to want to. No, I, I, I we can't even begin to. Uh, we'll just go down a dark hole mm. that uh, that that has uh, validity and a lot of definition. But let's keep it personal and go down that uh, pit. Well, up, uh, my here, here
2: here's what we know about me. That's true.
0: Uh, Where I'm, do you come? I'm from? Canadian born. You are born in Toronto. Are you leaving? Are you going back? No, no, not anytime soon. Why, why is that about Canadians? Like, even when shit gets real here and shit gets ugly here, you're just sort of like, no. Nope. Well, uh, you know,
2: I'm sure that there's a lot of, A, on a professional uh, level, it's, mm-hmm. it's difficult for me to do the things that I want to do there. Sure. There, there are a lot of great artists and a lot of great things that happen there. Um, and now I feel safe having said that. Yeah. Um, but uh, uh, you, I sort of realized at a young very young age that if i wanted to be an actor and and have you know realize my dreams whatever the fuck they were they're different now but uh that i was gonna have to leave
0: (laughs) well how so how big is your family what do you got brothers and sisters
2: i have two sisters older uh, older really yeah are they, they there they're there uh, they're three years older, and
0: they, yeah, they have kids and everything. You got w- nephews and
2: one of them has kids, and they're um, and she has uh, uh, two boys, and they live on the street that I grew up on. Really? Yeah, in Toronto. In Toronto, she lived. Um, that sister lived in the states for a long time, and her, both her kids were born in Brooklyn, and she just moved back a few years ago. Um, are your folks still
0: there? Or are they around?
2: Yeah, my folks are still there. They're around. Really? Yeah, and uh, I yeah. see my folks quite a bit.
0: You do? Yeah, they come out here a lot because of the kids. Because of the kids,
2: and because I'm really, uh, I'm really close with my family. Really, and, yeah. And and um, my mom will probably text during this uh, as we were talking. She really? texts me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Oh,
0: that's nice. Yeah, uh. we,
2: we, it's it's really good. I, I'm I'm really lucky in that my parents aren't. Uh, um, y- you know, they they've been very um, considering that my dad's pretty conservative in yeah. a lot of ways what's he do uh he's retired now
0: he was for many years he was a corporate lawyer yeah is that a was he on the uh, the one of the good guys or the bad guys
2: well it depends on who you ask <laughs> you know he worked on a <laughs> he he for, That's true. for many years he you know he was a uh he was a uh, a senior partner in in arguably canada's biggest uh law firm um and he did a lot of uh his specialty was mergers and acquisitions. Yeah. So he worked on a lot of big deals around the globe and he traveled a lot when I was a kid and um and you always got along with him throughout all of that? I did, but you know, he was um he was he worked a lot. Yeah. Um and I don't mean that as an
0: indictment. It was just that's sure. what you did. Yeah, my dad did that too. Yeah, and yeah, and your mom would cover for him. My mom would He'll co- be home sometime. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I mean,
0: <laughs> you know, it was <laughs>
2: It, but I don't. I don't have. I, you know. I. I didn't like pop into a, a therapist chair at age twenty five and say, "God damn it, my dad wasn't around." Yeah. Um. It's just the way it was. Um. Having said that, he was great when he when he could be. Sure. Um. And we were very close. Um. Actually, in a lot of ways, my dad and I got closer when, uh, probably when I graduated high school. Yeah. Um. And I was kind of at his place where I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. You know, you say to your parents, um, you want to be an actor, especially my parents. You know, I went to all boys
0: boarding school. My dad, uh, went to Harvard. Um, So you grew up with some bread and you were, you know, there definitely had all the options available to you and there, you could have, you know, given that pedigree that the trajectory could have been some big business. For sure. I I
2: have a lot of friends who have gone into banking, uh, et cetera. Yeah. Um, a lot. And, um, and when you were in high school, were you acting and shit? I was. I was trying to. I, I left uh, boys' boarding school. I was asked not to return.
0: Oh, uh, good. So they uninvited you. Yeah. What'd you do to to deserve that? I, that sounds like uh, I was kicked out of a private school wa- one time as well. It's a badge of honor, right? That's great. Yeah. Um, I just got kicked out for being a smartass. It wasn't even a. Bo- it wasn't even a respected, like prep school. Right. It was the. It was the shit. It was like the secondary one. What? What part of the world was that? In Albuquerque, New Mexico. Oh, okay. But like there was the. You know there was the you know, kind of a uh, private school, the academy. Mm-hmm. And then there was sort of like, no, nah, Sandy, prep. That's where, you know, I was always the kid. It's sort of like, well, he doesn't pay attention and he seems creative, but he's bright. Same here. Yeah, let's put him in this one. Same here. Not <laughs> reaching his potential. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. Doesn't s- seem
2: to pay attention. No, doesn't pay attention. And for good reason, when you look back, Um I think yeah. in a lot of ways, it, it, it's funny not to, to uh, digress too much, but my... My own kids watching them, you know, they're in school now, they're in first and second yeah. grade. And, you know, I'm pretty involved at their school and looking at their curriculum now versus what it used to be. The way that they actually teach things like math, um, it's much less, uh, uh, they, they put, they stress less uh, on memorization and things like that we used to, you know, right. the, the way we learned it. And it's much more about using your own sort of, you mean learning it? Uh, yeah, learning it. Your own inherent <laughs> cognitive skills like all, and, and applying that to and
0: using re- things like reason. And, yeah. And it's much more engaging in that way. I could never fucking wrap my brain around algebra. No. Like, like geometry was okay. Shapes I could handle. But like it stopped there. I mean, I chemistry couldn't fucking manage well, it. It's just memorization of boring shit. I guess. But the way things work together, yeah. I mean, it would have helped if someone could have taught me how how it worked but yeah it is it's it's like uh they're like puzzles yeah i couldn't i don't i just can't do it i don't know if i had the patience or ad uh, attention deficit disorder i don't think i do because i can get pretty obsessed and focused when i want to yeah. when i when i feel compelled yes when i'm terrified yeah so imagine
2: <laughs> right so imagine <laughs> if somebody had had uh built the drama uh in geometry for, or in algebra for yeah. you maybe you would have been
0: yeah maybe i don't know so like so you were you were a problem kid or what to an extent i was a smart
2: ass yeah uh and i was you know getting big laughs smoking in the woods i was getting big laughs i still remember some big laughs you do sure sure what's the big laugh um gosh i don't know (laughs) every once in a while i'll think about some like like prep school laughs
0: yeah just something where you completely undermine the authority structure constantly Yeah, they
2: can't, there's no tolerance for that eventually. Constantly, and I would have, you know, back in the day, a, a lot of the, and I, I think this has changed a lot, but yeah. back then, a lot of the guys, uh, the men who became teachers in uh, uh, boys' boarding schools yeah. out in the middle of fucking nowhere Canada, Canada, yeah. you have to think that a lot of those, some of those people are pretty depressed and have, have given up. <laughs> you Right.
0: You think so, but I mean, there are people that like want to teach.
2: Yes, there are some I will say there there are some and I had some fantastic teachers.
0: Yeah. But there were a couple who were who
2: had a who resented the student body, who were yeah. like, These are a bunch of rich little kids. Yeah. And fuck them. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to grind them down. <laughs> you know, and their parents aren't around and I'm gonna have my foot is gonna be on Arnett's throat every fucking day. Yeah. And uh you know yeah. I got into it once um you know, I, I, when I was in, I went away when I was 12. Yeah. And so when I was, so was like, Oh,
0: it's a boarding school, boarding so, yeah. school. And it's way you, up
2: North uniforms, uniforms. And so I was, I was, uh, I was 12 years old and, uh, I had, my shit was all over my room. I was 12. Yeah. And, uh, my housemaster, as he was called, uh, had told me a couple of times, you got to clean up your shit. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I came back one day from class and all my shit was packed into his car. And um, he said, "Hop in." And he drove me six miles away. Yeah, and I had like six garbage bags or four garbage bags full of shit. Mm-hmm. And he said, "You, uh, you'll, you'll clean up your shit now." And he dropped me on the road there. And it was middle of winter, and these bags were heavy, and had, and I had to kind of. I was like, "What the fuck am I gonna do?" And I thought, "What an asshole!" It's your clothes and everything, clothes and everything, and bo- just shit, right? Yeah. So I was like, I was at first I was like, all right, this is one of my, so I take two of the bags and go a hundred yards, go back and get the other two. And this is untenable. So I sat there for a second and felt sorry for myself. And then I got the idea and I started putting everything on. Yeah. Like the Michelin man. And then I was tucking everything in and I had, and I had all sorts of shit and I managed to, to wear everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I I must have I, I must have looked insane. Yeah. And I did it. And I walked back and I, I walked back in, you know, record time and I came back and the look on his face, he was so pissed that i had figured out an easy way to do it. <laughs> and in my mind I'm thinking like this is brilliant. Yeah. He should be celebrating. You were me. learning. That, that was that actual, was learning.
0: Actual learning, applied cognitive
2: skills. And he was so pissed at me. I I still remember that guy. He, he wanted you to walk back. somehow he wanted me to walk back and have to drag them he also did this thing where i forgot what it was but we we had gone to this thing and we had bought a bunch of food and we hadn't okayed it or whatever yeah and he wanted us to write letters to our parents saying sorry that we had bought all this food right cheeseburgers and shit, and charged it to our thing
0: what the fuck are your parents doing
2: i mean were you like the well my parents didn't so my parents find out and they're like, "That's fine. We're happy that you got some food and whatever." And but this guy was like, "You know, fuck these guys." Yeah. So he said, "I want you. To, you got to. Each one of you has to write a letter to your parents apologizing, and and then I am going to okay them. I'll look at the letter before you send them off." So knowing that he was going to write it, <clears throat> that he was going to read it, I wrote this letter that was just an indictment of him. Yeah. And I said, mom and dad, I'm so sorry, but obviously uh, Mr. Shalhoub, et cetera, et cetera. And I just ripped into him and I left it at his door. He came flying in. He said, you little fucking. And I said, how dare you? That's a correspondence between me and my parents. You're violating federal law. I was like, you know? Yeah. Um, And did he send it? No, he made me redo it. I was a, that was a. (laughs) <laughs> uh, admittedly, it was, Now that I say it out loud, it's a dicky thing to do, and yet uh, I still maintain that it was.
0: You had to. You it was got, funny. Yeah, sure. You got to. You got to like. You know. You know. Kind of prod those guys uh, for sure, so you can see what they're really made of. Yeah. Um. And so what? So what happens? You go through all of high school at that place. So no, I I leave there and I go to high school. White, what made them kick you out? Just a collection um, of things.
2: Y- yeah, just a collection. Literally, same thing. Just yeah. being a smart ass. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. they just they didn't say you're kicked out, but at the end of. Uh, tenth grade
0: they said uh, we'll see you later my, they recommended military school for me really my parents would never do that no they're like yeah I remember there was a period where they were looking maybe you should go here like I, they they were so clueless Your my parents, parents were kinda you know, they just, you know, they, I don't think they were that engaged. They were like, well, go to that school. It should be fine. And then, you know, when it comes down to it. But maybe not. I mean, the fact that they didn't, if they were really clueless, they would have said, yeah, you're right. Okay. We'll send them
2: to military school. At least they didn't do that.
0: Well, yeah. Well, they weren't disciplinary and that's for sure. But I don't ever remember them helping me with homework or anything. I don't, I don't ever no. remember, you know, like, no. you know, what's going
2: on in school. It's a different world. My, my kids um, said to me a few months ago, I picked them up um, yeah. and, you know, do the, the carpool lane. And uh, one of my sons said, you know, John Michael's mom, she comes in, she doesn't do carpool. She comes into the class and gets him. And as I'm driving, I'm like leaning over. I'm saying, hey, granddad, my dad, granddad didn't even know where my school was. (laughs) You got, you got, I never saw my dad at my school ever. Yeah. Me
0: neither. Unless they were called in. Yeah. yeah, Maybe. Yeah. Did you ever, I, I remember I had a drunk electronics teacher. Really? Like there was like, I had three drunks for teachers. It was
2: much more acceptable back then for teachers to be drunk. Could you could just smell them drunk. Yeah, I don't know if I ever smelled, but I knew that there were teachers who drank because they lived on campus. Yeah.
0: Who drank at you night. You want me to check and see if uh, the missiles have been launched? Yeah. That's at any moment, right? God, I hope not. But it's a sad fucking state of affair that we've got to... Uh, not yet. Not that I've got. You got? What do you got? Anything? Let me see. Nothing yet. I feel like yeah no. okay okay no i feel like we're good we're good for now <sighs> okay so what so That's okay the world we live in oh I, I i can't uh i know i'm having a hard time dealing with it so. yeah me too i i can't imagine that i i just can't like anyone who's like connected you know I- intensely to what's happening i can't imagine anyone going like this is good it's going well there's no way let's get back to uh, Canada and like, uh, I think Toronto is a great city. The difference I always notice is like, this feels like a real city without the, the menace. Yes. Like, yes. (laughs) Like, you know, you just see, you see people sitting on park benches at 12 at night, you know, just taking it in. And I'm like, what's happening.
2: Yeah, no, there's nothing happening. And, and, you know, it's funny, since I've, since I've left Toronto, there, yeah. there are people, including my parents, who will say, oh, no, 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 they had some shootings. It's almost like they're trying to <laughs> validate its, its status as a real down yeah. and dirty city. I used to make this, it's a stretch calling it a joke, but I, w- I would say, a lot of people will say that Toronto is a, a clean New York, and I prefer to think of it as a dirty Winnipeg, but there's some <laughs> truth to that, which is, yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up, and as a teenager, there was never any, there was never any fear that anything bad was going to happen. Yeah, there's
0: no edge to it, and, no. and like you know, right now I, I could use that. I, I would feel like it would be an, a pleasant <laughs> few <laughs> weeks if <Yeah>. I. <laughs> it just. Yeah, I, I wasn't I, terrified of my own people. Well, it's it's. It was true that I, mo- you know, I moved to New York in 1990. I was 20 years old. So wait, let's go back then. Let's. So you you get you get kicked out of the prep school. You yeah. go to a regular high school. I, I went
2: to a uh, what they call an alternative school in Toronto. Yeah. Um, where I didn't really have classes per se, and it was all kind of essay yeah. based, and it was run through the Toronto Board of Education.
0: I love that when creative people actually go to those schools that where you sort of do what you want. How yeah. is that going to end up well? It, well, it
2: you know, it did. It, it, it turned out okay for me. Yeah. Um you know, I'm here. You, and you, uh,
0: you just like it wasn't like a, like a, it was kind of uh, like this.
2: I was drinking coffee and talking to people.
0: <laughs> I mean, I've been doing I've been doing this for forty thirty five years, whatever it is. Yeah, uh, I guess it helps you learn who you are. It doesn't give you any practical skills for life,
2: but not not if I were to want to do anything other than what I'm doing. Which is very, which is a gamble. It was a big it gamble. It worked out. It yeah. worked out. I said to my dad recently, "I said, who knew that goofing off was going to pay off so well?" Yeah. Uh, what did he say? Uh, he agreed, <laughs> uh, reluctantly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I went to this school and I actually I studied uh, theater and I was able to get credit for it. And you I, studied
0: it on your own or with a guy?
2: No, I went to a. There was an actual theater in Toronto called yeah. Tarragon Theater, and they had a sort of a studio component yeah. there where they had. And my, I had. My godmother wa- uh, ran this school. She was a good friend of my mom's, and and she's still around. And my aunt Judith, and um, she's ill right now, but uh, she's one of the more influential people in my life. And she she was the person who actually kind of uh, really got me interested in learning on a different in a different way. And I I sort of rue the fact that that didn't happen earlier because yeah. she encouraged me to read. You know, she'd say oh, you know, don't just read Hemingway. Don't just read The Sun Also Rises. Read all of Hemingway and tell me what we... And and I just did it on my own and I discovered things like reading became such an important part of my life
0: because I was encouraged to do it and to engage in a way that... This is by your aunt? Yeah. Oh, it's nice to have one of those influences. You know, the the uh the sort of um creative intellectual yeah you know, push yeah for sure and in who when i'm 16 and i say you know i think i want to be
2: an actor she's like that's great yeah and here's what you should do yeah um and yeah and don't tell your parents and don't tell your parents <laughs> <laughs> and well i'm i'm looking for from her i'm looking for yeah. sort of official certification that this is the right move right um and and that was a great move for me going there uh and l- learning with her and uh it was a good time in my life what was
0: the theater like i mean what did you do it was do good there? you
2: know what's funny um my I, I, I took a class there it was monologue writing yeah and there was a guy in my class who was writing these bizarro monologues and they were really funny and he performed them himself and i was 16 and he was probably 25 yeah. or 22 yeah um and he's trying to be an actor, a comedian, et cetera, and one day between, you know, like on a smoke break, because uh, I was already a heavy smoker. Uh, when did you start? You know, 13 or yeah. something.
0: What well, what, Canadian cigarettes? Yeah. Which ones? Um, Player's Light. Oh, yeah? Yeah, mm. they're good. I, yeah, yeah i used to like going i used to like getting exotic cigarettes like, like i was export a, a and DeMari yeah yeah, yeah. but i never liked the taste of them they're too much what i I, got I, there? I smoked
2: these i i you know i, I quit. still smoke them well i quit and then i'm back and yeah. i'm kind of like on my last what license. are those these are um marlboro golds from europe they're that's all, all i'll smoke for a while i was like i'm, I'm only gonna smoke those because i can't get my hands on them and then i just had people mewling them for me <laughs> I time anytime I hear about somebody going to Europe, I'd be like,
0: hey, can you give them 40 bucks to grab me some smokes? <laughs> it's fucking terrible. So you're smoking and you're talking. And to I'm talking guy. to this
2: guy and he says, why don't you come down? You should come down next weekend. We're doing, uh, I've got this comedy group and, uh, we're doing some stuff, some sketches at the Riv yeah. in Toronto. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. Yeah. What are you guys called? The kids in the hall. And it was, uh, Mark McKinney. That's who was talking Yeah. To you? And I I took a monologue writing class. He doesn't know. He has no idea who I am, I'm sure. Today, I think, or at Um, that time. He probably knows who you are now. Maybe, maybe. But, you know, I was 16 and he was in my class. Yeah. Was he he funny? Oh, my God. He was so funny. He was the star of the class. Yeah. Uh, And he was absurd. Yeah. And I loved how absurd he was. Yeah, I I had an appreciation for that. So
0: what'd you do? Wait, you go to the kids in the hall show?
2: I didn't go. (laughs) I've had so many things like that happen. I had years <laughs> later in New York. Um I uh I had I, I lived in a building uh on Hudson Street right across from the Holland Tunnel. Yeah. And the guy living upstairs for me what yeah, it was terrible. Yeah. The building's not even there anymore. Yeah. It was rat and fest. And it was before like that area was cool. Yeah. We used to call the neighborhood work. Yeah. The only people who went there were people who went to work <laughs> in those that are all, buildings that are all condos now. Right. Um, and the guy upstairs for me was Damien Loeb, this painter. Yeah. Who kind of had a moment 15 years ago. Right. Uh, but he, uh, he and I, my roommate worked at Goldman Sachs.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and so he paid more rent than I did. And, uh, and then Damien and I would spend the day smoking cigarettes and yeah. he, his art at that time consisted of, he'd take high def, he was one of the first guys I knew who had a high def uh, camera and television, high def videos of himself um, having sex with his Asian girlfriend and then he'd make paintings uh, of that. Um, uh uh-huh. So I loved Uh, going to the studio. Yeah, it
0: was great. (laughs) Right upstairs, just watching him fuck people on camera. Yeah, it was amazing.
2: (laughs) And he had a buddy of his. Same thing. He's a DJ. I'm
0: a DJ. Come see us play. Blah blah blah. And I'm no, I'm good, Moby. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, same thing. Uh, So Moby was hanging around. That must have been when he was just starting out, because he. I I think Moby's from Connecticut. Yeah, he. he, You know, and and so 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 so's Damien. Maybe that's
2: where they knew each other. But but uh, you know, I didn't really know him. Um, and he was, he was definitely, he didn't have a record deal or anything. Sure.
0: Um, and then he made two records and made enough money to, uh, live the rest of four lives. Yeah. <laughs> unbelievable. Yeah, man. That's a fucking racket. That's the business. Yeah. I mean, there's guys that did one record, two songs even. Yeah. I'm good. Back in that sweet spot right yeah. before it went away. Yeah. That was it. Right, so you
2: wanted to be a serious actor. Yeah. So I moved to New York to and I studied at Lee Strasbourg.
0: At, oh you did? So after the, the theater thing how old were you when you moved to New York? Like twenty.
2: Oh really? So yeah. you're like I'm out. I'm out. I went to I went to college for half a year and I dropped out, Concordia yeah. University in Montreal. And I, I got to college um and I remember it was right around Christmas time. Yeah. And I remember all I was doing was partying like everybody else. Sure. And I remember thinking, this is it. I, I, I really did. And not, that, not like some fucking visionary. Or I was 19 years old and I thought, what, what else? I'm just going to kind of do this and then move back to Toronto. And a lot of the people I grew up with were there in Montreal at college. And then everybody's going to go back to Toronto and just be friends forever in the same group. Yeah. Sort of upper middle class white kids. Yeah. And I thought, oh my God, this is a nightmare. And I got to get out of here. <laughs> yeah. And I, I remember calling my parents from a pay phone. Yeah. There used to be a thing called a pay phone where you'd go and you'd put money in just yeah. for the listeners.
0: Yeah. And they were kind of dirty. They were kind of dirty. Yeah. yeah. And they had stuff carved. I see in. some of them around sometimes. I'm like, wow, look at that. I saw two in New York last week. Yeah bizarre it is well, weird well it
2: did one of them didn't have a phone in it sure. but i used it to make a call because it was quiet right and it was out of the light a
0: cigarette yeah i used to duck into pay oh. phones to do one hits off of weed <laughs> sure oh the one hitter oh the best oh the best god damn it um
2: and uh yeah so i called my parents so and so you had had them the, out.
0: the white light moment yeah you, you saw your 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 death through mundanity. and exactly and i and, and i to my dad's credit
2: he said okay I said I got to do this, and and they said, "Well, what are you what are you proposing?" And I said, "I got to go and try, go to New York. It was Being always going to be in New York." Yeah, and they said, "Okay, well, you are going to have to come back." And I got a job for six months. Yeah, uh, in Toronto to make enough money to, so that I could I could move to New York. What was the job? I was selling uh, paper towel and toilet paper and stuff like that. This guy I knew started this company. Really? Do, yeah. Do you remember? Um, <laughs> do you is- remember? Oh, not to remember. They still exist. It's that Swedish company that says uh, it's Torque or something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, you you pull the paper down from the middle. It's like a big round dispenser. Mm-hmm. And um, oh and, yeah, and then some of the the toilet paper rolls sure. are huge rolls. Yeah, the, you see them in uh, airports. In and airports and shit. Yeah, and at the time they they were just coming to North America from Sweden. Uh-huh. And this guy got a distributorship or whatever, and I worked for him. He was a year older than me, and he had this company, and uh, and you'd go to places and go yeah. look at this yeah go try to bar, go ahead, try bars it. and restaurants and sell yeah. it to them and then i'd install it as well <laughs> i was a one man you know a one man twerk installer yeah. so i'd go in they'd you know some restaurant would be like okay yeah we want to switch over all our and by the way i knew nothing about construction i mean installation all sure. that kind of shit yeah. and i had like a toolbox yeah and i go into their bathroom and i'm like putting in fucking in through the drilling through tile like i just learned i'd fucking crack shit and whatever and i'd ruin and then you know i i just did it the commission gig it was a commission gig and uh you were a good salesman i was decent yeah i was decent you made enough to go to new york
0: i made enough to to move to new york for uh for one year yeah and now you know about that company what is it called torque 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 T- they're still around yeah R- they, they, Q, I think yeah they're they're sort of problematic with toilet paper sometimes because if the, if the if the end is not hanging out then you're screwed yeah it's hard to get and in it's in heavy it. so you got to roll it yeah, with it's your like hand it, yeah it's, yeah uh, I've, yeah I, i'm not happy with the product. no especially in a place where I you want, want a to, refund
2: well well where you <laughs> want to touch the least amount of things as possible <laughs> i say to my kids now when we go into public i'm like don't touch anything <laughs> um, do what you got to do and yeah. make it to the sink. Yeah,
0: and then air dry your hands and just do what. But just don't touch. Uh, so I did that. Yeah, and then I moved to New York. And what was the plan? That was where you lived in the work neighborhood.
2: That no. First I lived. Uh, I lived on the Upper East Side. I got an huh. apartment from. I sublet an apartment from a girl who was, who had been at Strasbourg, and she sublet it to me.
0: All right. So how? Oh, so how did you get into that program?
2: I went down and met with them. Uh, flew down to New York before you went before i went yeah um and uh and met with them and uh and then i went back that was sort of like did you audition or who was it did you remember the teachers i don't remember the teacher then i did i did like a monologue uh i don't remember who the teacher was then but i had a very influential teacher at strasbourg who was that acting teacher this guy george yeah. Loros. yeah l o r o s so i get in i go back to toronto yeah i i grab all my shit yeah. which was nothing yeah i the first five years that i lived in new york i could move i moved a lot um i could move with one cab because <laughs> i had like two bags i had nothing and a futon and a futon yeah barely i didn't even own a bed at first like i just was, go
0: buy a futon buy yeah. a new
2: futon throw it on the floor you know what a yeah. futon mattress on the floor i still to this day think that's the best sleeps i ever had you think so Yep. I had one on 21st Street for years. I lived on 21st Street uh, between 7th and 8th. Yeah. And I, I remember those as being like the deepest sleeps. Maybe I had no worries back then.
0: Maybe. I, I mean, I remember, like, I remember I, the day I realized that futons were kind of a racket like there you know you had your basic futon that got hard you know over a year or so which was pretty good but then he started doing foam cores and layers and like i started to realize like this beds in general i think it's some sort of scam
2: maybe although you know
0: people will argue hey listen you spend a third of your life in bed it should be yeah that should be the highest ticket i remember when i got a very expensive futon frame pulled it up off the floor but my uh, apartment on the lower east side was not really big enough to accommodate it spatially yeah so one room was just the bed frame sure yeah <laughs> i i see now i never liked the
2: frame uh-huh they were never comfortable to me so i just had and i would roll it up during the day yeah so i had, had more room. space yeah uh
0: all right so you're there five years what are you doing <clears throat> well I'm there what'd you learn what, what do you what do you use now what did you take with you uh what's God, your technique and craft uh,
2: yeah the only thing i like talking about more than actors craft is
0: independent film yeah um <laughs> no but I mean it's like I talk to people that go to Strasbourg, and I've talked to actors and like they're you know I I guess it's all like I believe that if you have some sort of talent for it you have it but I mean you do learn something well you know it's yes you do learn something and I I, I, you know I had a lot of great
2: I did have some good teachers I had you know, you first start there. You're learning; it's all sense, memory stuff. It's methods, you know, all, all that. Kind did of you thing.
0: you could wrap your brain around
2: that? Uh, a little at first, I thought, "Well, what the fuck is this shit?" And then, and you're doing, you're sitting in a chair, and the whole point is to try to relax as much as you can on an uncomfortable chair. Yeah. Um, what <laughs> it, in your mind you're like? This can't. Be this can't be. How is this going <laughs> to help me be on Law and Order? Um, but what it did do was it helped me kind of <laughs> tap into the idea of like sort of focusing on and concentrating on what I I guess what I uh, uh, you know being being in the moment yeah I suppose sure um, but I had a George Loris was great because when a lot of the other teachers were talking about the method and all these things that you in preparation yeah he would then say he he'd been a working actor he'd done a million things and and he said, there's no set and there's no director who's going to wait for you to fucking get into fucking character. You got to be ready to go. And he was, m- yeah, much more about the practical application, right? And his number one thing was about being sensitive to the material, and and he was he was a really great teacher in that way. I remember him, uh, uh, this other guy doing a guy and a girl were doing a scene i forget what it was from yeah and george would sit in the front row of this little theater and they're doing a scene where the guy's bringing the girl home for a date or something yeah and he says i'm gonna stop you right there yeah and he says to the guy tony says tony what is your objective in this scene for your character (laughs) and this guy tony's like well i you know i'm gonna come home and this girl he goes "No, no 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 tony you want to fuck her cunt (laughs) He's, and then everybody goes, oh, Jesus, George. And all the women in the class were like, George, how didn't." he turns, I remember this thing, he turns around and goes, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, vagina. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as hilarious as that was, it was also very helpful. You know, it helped me kind of break down like, oh, yeah, that's... Breaking down scenes and all
0: that kind of thing is very
2: just. It's all yeah. just about applying logic
0: and. Yeah, I need to get better at that as an actor too. because like I just sort of show up in it and you know yeah. from the lines I'm like, all right, I need to. I know what's going on, but like I think if you really put an objective in there, yeah, in your head, yeah, it probably it'll probably hang the words on something a little better. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I, I think, yes, and it <laughs> yeah. probably will. I, there are all sorts of like little things. I feel like it's always just about stuff that you pick up along the way. Yeah. And you hear things here and there. I remember a girlfriend that I had years ago, whom I lived with in New York. Yeah. And she had done, um, she did uh, Dead Man Walking. She was in the, in the first bit of that. And she had told me, I heard this secondhand that Tim Robbins had said, the most important thing is entrances and exits, and that stuck with me as a you know as a twenty five year old. I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and that's Open always big, closed big. Yeah, and it's <laughs> always been a thing that's kind of in the back of my mind. Yeah. I don't know if I actually practically apply it every yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. And I since have gotten to know him a little bit, and I Who I can't? sent Tim Robin, and yeah. I saw him a year ago. we were shooting in Venice, and he came by on his bike. We chatted, and I said, hey, by the way do you remember missy was in your i remember years ago she told me this and i told him that and he kind of like oh did i like he didn't even
0: remember that's not even his thing necessarily (laughs) he thought it was like a buddha moment he's (laughs) like oh yeah okay, yeah yeah." but no but it's weird how things like that that makes sense to me like you know when you walk in yeah or you know right when your scene starts yeah you know plant yourself and then you know take the beats necessary to exit beautifully somehow absolutely people don't
2: remember everything in the middle all yeah. they remember is is you coming in yeah. and you
0: leaving, and especially if it's a laugh line on either of those. Absolutely, the, the exit laugh line very powerful, even memorable. In, even in life, if yeah. I
2: if I get a decent enough laugh, yeah. I'm looking for the exit.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. And then like usually you do it, and then you come back, and you're like, I don't know where I was going.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, Where the fuck <laughs> are you <laughs> going?
0: Or, or, like, I do you're that. driving this airplane. <laughs> yeah. I like I do that in fights too. Like, Yo, know, fuck this, fuck you, I'm out. And then you walk out, and you're like. Where am I going? <laughs> like, hey, I don't know. I'm okay now. Uh, do you have a lot of fights? Used to. You did? Yeah, I tried to cut back on it. Yeah. Yeah, I, it was, uh, I had to sort of search myself and figure out what was really going on there. And mm. it was um, just uh, an insane uh, uh, discomfort with intimacy and the idea that I was being manipulated constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Shit, man. I mean, it sounds like you're on top of it. Can I smoke in here? <laughs> yeah. No, like I, what, what, like what I realized lately because of the woman I'm with now is is interesting. Is that, you know, I'd get upset about something and I'd start a fight, and she says to me, she goes, you know, you're arguing with yourself. You're you're just making up all this stuff that I'm doing, and I'm not doing anything. And I and I had this moment, I'm like, oh, that's kind of true, but you're kind of fucking with me now, though, right?
2: <laughs> but you've already, so you've already
0: kind of had half the argument before you get yeah, to the conversation. Yeah. 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 And, um, you know, projecting, yeah. you know, you're just projecting all these things that they did or they're doing or they're thinking. And it's really all your insecurity. I think you're, like arguing with yourself. It's funny you say that. I think I do that. I, I realize
2: that, that I sometimes will maybe do a version of that. And then I'll come in and I'll, and I'll go, everything okay yeah and they're like yeah why not and then they're like oh because we've just had an argument <laughs>
0: yeah 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 oh I went through some shit with you in my head
2: what Is that is there an ashtray that works oh, over this there this is okay did Obama smoke no okay good for you
0: he had a tea did he sat there and had a tea I was hoping he smoked but he didn't he didn't smoke I, I think he manages it Good yeah. I think he's a gum guy. Do do you
2: think he's smoking now? Has he had one do you think since Yeah, I probably.
0: Yeah. I I don't know that. I I don't I can't assume, but I think he's like got it down cuz you know, he's got, you know, he's got a family and you know, he's mm. older and it's sort of a hard habit to defend after a certain point.
2: Oh, it's the <laughs> it is the worst. Yeah. I liken it to uh I I often say that I'm it's like I'm cleaning the gun that I'm going to use to shoot myself with. Yeah, it's... Oh,
0: this? Oh, no, this... Yeah, I'm just... this, this is the thing that's going to kill me.
2: And I'm just getting it ready. Yeah, yeah. It looks good, though, right? Looks feels great. good.
0: I eat these nicotine lozenges all the fucking time. Let me look at these. They're great. Nicotine lozenges. Yeah, I feel great. like... Are Are they? Oh my god! Like you know, like for me, because I'm a fucking drug addict. Yeah, same. Uh, no, you know, not a drug addict. I'm drunk. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you're you're an addictive personality. Yeah. But like you know, I get what I, I get the buzz. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like if I like I I look forward to it at night. I'm gonna wake up and have one with my coffee, yeah. and I'm gonna feel it yeah yeah like sometimes the gum it's like you feel it but then it goes away too quick because you chew it too fast but this but these you kind of let them linger in your mouth yeah it's a good delivery system it is that's exactly right yeah good delivery system so what how do you land the first roles what are they what happens do you think like when did you become Will Arnett that was Arrested development where everyone was like that's the guy I was always him I was just waiting for everybody else to uh, Uh, figure it out yeah but you Um, did some things that weren't necessarily comedy no or was it always comedy no I I um, I did
2: some in, I, I well first I started working in New York I, I, I did a uh, I was doing a kind of a off about as far off Broadway uh, one act play and uh, a girl who worked at William Morris yeah um, in New York back then
0: uh, what was the one act play
2: it was called Answers yeah and uh, it was like about a guy and the cops get him to confess to something he didn't do and yeah. it was like you know and I played this kind of like small theater, tiny theater, like ninety-nine yeah. seat theater. Yeah. And I, you know, I played this kind of like sort of junky, kind yeah. of You know. And by the way, when I was and I was twenty-three, when I was twenty-three, I looked like I was twelve. Yeah. It was not. Um. But uh, I was applying all my acting. You were <laughs> it, doing it, yeah. Taking those pauses, oh, working my the God. chair, oh yeah, and. She brought me into to uh William Morris. Uh-huh. and while I was there meeting uh with you know, these agents and, and they were gonna start sending me out, one of them said you should go and talk to the people in the voiceover department. And uh and I said, Sure, what what's that? <laughs> and they said, Have you ever thought about the voices on commercials and stuff? And I said, No. It's never <laughs> no, occurred to me. Those are people? Yeah. Huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, there are voices on commercials. Yeah. Uh, and I went and I talked to them and they, they said, well, we're going to start sending you out. And, and immediately they started, uh, uh, you know, sending me to auditions and it, it wasn't very long. I'm going to say probably two months into it. Maybe yeah, yeah. I got my first gig, uh, for, for <clears throat> a healthcare company out of New England uh-huh. called Harvard community health plan. Uh huh. We're what healthcare should be. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. And they flew me to Boston to, to record it, which was kind of unusual, um, but it was, I guess it was because it was a whole radio and television campaign, and they were all there. Yeah. It was like kind of 20 commercials yeah. that yeah. I was recording. Right. They brought me up there, and I think they were probably surprised when I walked in because <laughs> yeah. I sounded like an older right. guy. Yeah, yeah. You've always had refined. That, that voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I was like a punk kid. Yeah, yeah. Mm. but you did it. I did it. And then I started working a lot um, in voiceover, and I was able to pay the bills and and then some. And you know, I became the voice of Evian Water and uh, you know Boston Market and Lay's potato chips. Wow. and Hershey's Cookies and Cream. Really? So you oh, were making money? Yeah. The the I was making real money, and and the funny thing uh, I said recently actually, I was it occurred to me I was making like executive level money. Yeah. And I would do things like Lockheed Martin. I would do all these weird corporate things like Sunday golf type yeah. commercials. Yeah. Um, aim investments. Yeah. Invest with confidence. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, and again I was like this punk ass kid yeah, who yeah. was like burning out in New York. And uh but it was it became it was very lucrative and it meant that I didn't have to have you know, a lot of my friends were waiting tables sure. or whatever and, right. and I didn't have to do that. And I probably got lulled into a, a sort of a, a comfort level. Were you boozing a lot? Yeah,
0: yeah. That I was was, was that constant?
2: No, there were a few years where I wasn't, and then and then I was in the mid to late nineties. I was, and uh, I was boozing a lot. Um, and I would go to McManus a lot on you know on Seventh Avenue and Nineteenth yeah. Street. That was my spot. Oh yeah. It ended up becoming like a big kind of
0: after UCB hangout. Um, oh, it's a shitty little bar, right? Yeah. So you were like, you were the kind of drinker that was a shitty little bar, but it was still a shitty little bar. It was, yeah, it was before
2: it was like a a hangout. It became that because my buddy, you know, Ali Farhanakian. Yeah, I do. So it was because of Ali used to hang out with, I knew Ali through different guys from North Carolina. Really? That's how I kind of met all, all those sort of UCB people and stuff. Um, And my ex-wife was through Ali.
0: Oh yeah. yeah, I remember him. I, like, doesn't he teach now? And yeah. he's like, you know, he's like, got his own theater, the right well, the pit, right? And like, you know, there were. I remember there was like period of when, because I remember when the UCB showed up in New York. Yeah, you know, I remember when they, you know, they were doing, you know, um, you know, Luna Lounge with me, and then they started that first theater with the with the weird seats, the one that Walsh lived on top of. Oh no, that yeah, that one, that was the one on Twenty Second Street. That yeah. was their
2: first theater, but right. before that, they were doing. They would do ASCAT on Sunday nights upstairs, uh, 17th Street. What the fuck was that place called? And I remember a young Jake Fogelnest being in the front row, and he was just a fan, and him, like, kind of
0: tittering with his friends. Yeah. You know? And, uh, I mean, of course, now I've since known Jake for years. I knew him when his dad used to bring him to comedy shows. Yeah. Like, when he was, like, 10. Well, I remember, and his dad would be around sometimes back then. And, uh... One
2: of my agents from Willie Morris from back in the day in nineteen ninety six, it was like January ninety six, and he says to me, You've got i have I've I've just got this new uh young comedy troupe from Chicago and they've moved here. Yeah. And they're performing at the West Bank Theater on Forty Second Street, the mm-hmm. restaurant downstairs there's a little theater. Yeah, I remember that. And it was UCB doing uh Bucket of Truth, mm-hmm. their sketch show. Yeah. And it was uh Walsh and Besser and Ian and Amy yeah uh and they did Bucket of Truth and that was the first and it was Peter Principato yeah was then who's now my has been my manager for years still still I remember him yeah yeah and Peter's been and he was my agent starting in 93 I remember when he was an agent yeah him in his weather jacket
0: coming around <laughs> <laughs> I just spoke to him the whole way here yeah um yeah, and Peter had said you got to go see these. guys. I think I was kind of a dick to him. Yeah, I was. I never really had the social graces to uh, understand uh, how show business worked. <laughs> I, I would always go out of my way to be a dick to all the people that could possibly help me. Sure, <laughs> that was your badge. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was. That's what kept me out of the uh, the the real work for a long time. So wait, so so this agent. So you do all these voiceovers. So yeah. when do you just start kicking into the acting? So I did a couple independent films.
2: Yeah. Um, And uh, none of them kind of really did anything. Um, And it was back when they were making a lot of independent films all over the place. It was very in vogue. And I got my first kind of really sort of paying acting gig. I did a pilot for CBS. And it was in 90... Sick. It was that, that same winter, 96. Yeah. I did a pilot for Warner Brothers CBS yeah. called Grant and Lee, and Kevin Pollack was the star. Yeah. Um, and I was auditioning in New York for pilots, and they saw my tape and and, and flew me out to test for it. It was a yeah. big, big deal. And, you know, I I I guess I never... I always liked sort of the idea of comedy, but I never really talked about it in that way. I wasn't a stand-up. I didn't right. come up through sketch. Um, it just didn't seem like something that was on my. It just wasn't on my radar, right? Yeah, and it wasn't a thing in New York as much. There was stand-up, certainly, right. but the sketch thing wasn't, hadn't
0: happened yet. Hadn't really happened, as right. you know.
2: Yeah. Um, and so anyway, I, I I went I did this pilot, and and it didn't get picked up, but I kind of did okay, I think. And then I started auditioning and testing more for pilots, and uh, every year I would sort of te- I started testing. And they would fly me out for. 5 10 pilots and yeah. and I get really close and then I did uh I did another pilot a few years later um for at this time I I will say I was uh I was boozing and I probably didn't look my best and was not in the best form yeah <laughs> um right. but you know I could still do my voiceovers and sure. making increasing bank yeah um so I was like fuck it I don't care And then I had a moment. I was like, all right, I got to get my shit together and kind of pare that down and and quit it. But right right before that, I did a pilot uh, with my friend Michael Malley called The Michael Malley Show. I remember him. NBC, yeah.
0: Didn't he famously lose his mind for a minute?
2: No. That's one of those, that's a story that's kind of taken on its own life. He had, during this show... It was back when they were giving out these big development deals. Right, to I remember. Yeah. I, had,
0: I had one. Not, yeah. uh, not as big, but yeah. But yeah, yeah. you
2: had one, and, they, and lots of people had these. Yeah. And, and uh, Mike had this this big deal, and he went he went to make a movie. From the time we shot the pilot to the time we were shooting the, the series, he went and made the
0: movie. I think it was 28 Days. He, the, it was Yestir, right? Wasn't that the- He, he ended, ended up being up, on yesterday, Right, yeah. So he went to make the movie.
2: So he went to make the movie, and he comes back, and-, and uh, he felt like the writing staff had gotten way off of what the original idea was. Yeah. And Mike is, he's still a a very close friend of mine and one of the all-time great guys, great people.
0: He's a solid Yeah, I always see him in things and he's good. You know, I saw him, he was in Scully, he was good. He's really good. He's a good actor, he's a really good writer. Yeah. and and, But but most of
2: all, he's an incredibly good guy. Yeah. Um, And he wrote this, what became to be known as a manifesto (laughs) to all his writers. Yeah saying, "Look, I I've, I've got this responsibility. He's he's from New Hampshire. He's, you know, sort of blue collar. Like yeah. he it's like he took it really seriously that they gave him all this money. And he felt a sense of responsibility to do the right thing with his show and make it the best version possible." So right. He, he wrote this thing and uh, really out of a good place, and somebody in the writers' room immediately faxed it to every other writers' room. Yeah. leaked and, it. leaked it. And it was in the, and then they printed it in the Hollywood Reporter. And he became, and everybody was, you know, he was basically the laughing stock. And I remember the day that that happened, and he was so, he's like, I fucked up. I, I shouldn't have, I guess I shouldn't have given a shit. And he was so despondent. Yeah. And I thought, you know what? Fuck everybody else. That's bullshit. He's such a good guy. If there's anybody that did not deserve it, it was him. And he... Be- he became known as the guy who, like, lost it for a minute. And he, <laughs> by no means... There's nobody who's... If there's anybody who never lost it, it's Michael O'Malley.
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm glad he survived. You Big know, because it was, as, like, you as know, as at that time, himself. I'm sure I was like, oh, geez, that guy... I know. I probably had my own resentment about him.
2: Well, as you know, it's like, it's the... Uh, everybody, is, you know... It, in this town, especially, it's like don't let them see you trying. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So I did all these things, and then, and then eventually, I uh, around 2000, uh, I got sober, and I kind of got my shit together. You have been sober that long? Well, I had a, I had a, uh, a moment last year where after 15 years, I kind of went out because um, everybody was talking about rose, and it was never around before. Rose. Uh, it's a bit, but <laughs> but uh, but I ended up, you know, having a sort of a moment. For how long was um, that moment? Let's let's call it six months. But I don't want to get yeah, into yeah, the particulars. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, um, and I I actually talked about it recently, and, and and I sort of did this interview with the Hollywood Reporter last year, and I kind of. Mentioned that and then uh, of course immediately it's like the Daily Mail like Arnett hits hits the bottle like as if I'm like living under a bridge I'm like yeah. no fuck that's not what happened yeah, but yeah you can't do it yeah so like you can't talk about it yeah. because people just use everything against you this is quick bait yeah yeah um, but anyway uh, that was the moment back then that that kind of my in 2000 2000 yeah um, summer of 2000 and um, that was a sort of a pivotal moment in my life Um and and then i i was living out here briefly in in venice and did you
0: get married were you married twice
2: yeah i got married when i was very young uh when i was 24 briefly for a month it's on my wikipedia page
0: yeah.
2: um yeah i put it on there a long time ago yeah uh-huh. uh for a month literally like a month yeah it was one of the i was 24 yeah and kind of caught up in the moment and as soon as we did it i was like oh god <laughs> I'm not kidding. Like at City Hall in New York.
0: <laughs> How long had you known her? A month. No. Yeah, I swear to God. So you knew her a month and yeah. you went and got married. And it wasn't yeah. drinking. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just no good. It was just stupid. It was It was like- And she thought it was stupid? Uh,
2: eventually she did, yeah. <laughs> Initially she wasn't psyched that, that I- that i came to jesus before she did um <laughs> yeah but again i was you know i was 20 i was so dumb i was 24 i mean young people are dumb no i know and i include yeah. myself
0: in that well, young you know, people you get caught up in feelings we're yeah we're sensitive people us yes people. yes yeah and you're like this is it, it and then you realize like well I, I learned what not it is yes and <laughs> and and, and uh, you know, I realized years later like, oh, I still am capable of making major mistakes, hard man, yeah, yeah because you know getting to know like the patterns, yeah, that's a fucking trick yes and then and then knowing them is one step and then the next step is like don't do that, yeah uh,
2: well learning to go the hardest thing for me to learn how to do was to go take a take a beat, yeah, um don't be impulsive Ugh. and let it sit for a second yeah.
0: and then react. And you know, you I don't can,
2: need to have a reaction. You like, can do that.
0: Yeah. I'm, I'm better at it. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, tell me about uh, how arrested development happened.
2: Cause that's like, so I moved back. To, I was in, I was living in New York now. I moved back to New York. You want because, me to check and
0: see if we're in, at war?
2: Yeah. Let's see. Uh, I don't got anything. Oh,
0: wait. Shit. No, it's Beyonce. We okay. all agree that, that Mar-a-Lago is not the winter White House, right? Well, we all agree it's not the place to have, you know, national security confidential classified briefings at the table with other diners,
2: other
0: (laughs) Other diners around. Yeah,
2: that's not the best way to
0: that's not the best way to conduct uh, classified uh, international security issues. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Uh, I moved back to New York. Um, Amy, uh, my ex-wife, Amy. When did you meet her, though? i mean i know you met her way back and you so know, i a... met her way
2: back we we'd sort of met before and then i i met her um i went uh as ali vernon date to a dinner uh-huh to uh cafe lou in new york in the 90s in no this is like late 2000 i'd gone back to new york we we had met before but this was the first time right. we were you just gotten sober
0: yeah uh-huh yeah um like four months before oh so that's always a good time to make impulsive decisions Uh, yes well
2: you know uh in my defense i wasn't really doing i was just kind of i'd come back to new york for a couple weeks i was visiting my sister and uh ali said i'm going to this dinner yeah uh with my buddy fred weller and his then girlfriend now wife and ali and and my buddy jack and and uh, yeah um my my friend had gone on a on a date with Amy. And, yeah. And then she was coming to this dinner, but it wasn't really working out with them.
0: This is post-Matt Amy. Yeah,
2: post-Matt Besser, yes. Yeah. And uh, she... And we just... We hit it off, and we started... We chatted the whole night. Oh, and yeah. uh, And then she came to California, and, and they were doing shows out here uh, that January. Yeah. And we yeah. continued to... And we went out a couple times, and it was great. And then we started dating, and uh, she was basically... Uh, out here kind of with me and I did a pi- another pilot. Uh she was doing a pilot at the time with Judd uh called North Hollywood mm-hmm. with with uh uh Jason Siegel and Judd Reinhold. Uh-huh. Um and then and then she got SNL. Right. Um and it was like July of that year uh, 2001. And she was like, "Should I do this?" Yeah, and it was like a real um I mean I'm not violating it. It was just, you know, we talked about it and wasn't sure and I said, "Yeah, let's let's go." And so we moved back to New York. S uh, uh arrested happened like this. So Amy was doing SNL and uh not married yet. We were not married. Uh <clears throat> we were we then we then got engaged. Yeah. Like a year and a half later. Um and I did a pilot another pilot uh for CBS twentieth uh, for CBS. So
0: you're working. I mean, you know, between voiceovers and pilots and, and guest yeah. appearances, yeah. I mean you're making a living and yeah. it's good.
2: Yeah, I was you're making both, a good living yeah. and and I was I was kinda content in yeah. a way. Yeah. And and we were I was doing a pilot basically every spring, yeah. Seemed like. And I do this pilot though, and it gets picked up and and everybody's kinda celebrating and I had a bad feeling just about the way that everybody was kind of dealing with me. And I remember saying to Peter Principato there's something something's up and yeah like, now you're crazy you're paranoid yeah. and i said yes i know but in addition to that something's up yeah and sure enough i got fired off this pilot this show called still standing that ran for a few years on cbs yeah and i remember i remember getting the call from peter saying i don't know how the fuck you knew but you were right yeah um and i felt at this point i've been doing it long enough that i could sense you know shit like that yeah and uh and I was, I was really mad on a lot of levels. I was disappointed, you know, that I was fired. You feel kind of embarrassed. You feel like people care. Obviously, nobody notices. Yeah. But you feel like, um, you just, you feel shitty. And I remember my friend, Brian Callen, who's a stand-up. I know him, you know, Brian, yeah. Brian saying to me, oh, what, you're mad that you're not going to have one scene a week where you come in and you're the guy who goes, hey, what the hell happened to my couch? Yeah, he's like, yeah. you should be happy. Yeah. They're doing you a favor, Eddie. And it was he's like stop stop feeling you know sorry for yourself and so that's that fall i decided to do a play there was a guy I had done a, a reading with the summer before a couple summers before in new york stage and film up at vassar and he was coming to new york and he was doing a play about the the uh, tragedy at Lockerbie called the women of Lockerbie uh-huh. with the new group in uh-huh. new york i call peter principato and i say i'm not reading for anything for pilot season and he's like, don't be... St-. And I said, no, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with being disappointed. Um, and I don't want to have anything to do with it anymore. You know, I'm not going to audition. And boy, the TV business is going to be really missing me. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. then I get a... I remember my friend started talking about this script, Arrested Development. And the woman who cast the show that I got fired from the year before, Deb Borilski, when I was fired, sent me a handwritten letter. Yeah. And said, um, which is really sweet. And she said... I'm I thought you were great on this show. Uh, I don't want you to, don't take this personally that they fired you. I think they made a big mistake. I think you're a talented guy and I think it's a real injustice, et cetera, et cetera. And it was very sweet. I've never, nobody's ever done that before and or since. Um, and she was casting Arrested Development, Dad Brilski, And she called Peter Principato and she said, there's this part of the brother who's a magician and they can't cast it. Um And Will should come in and read for it. And Peter called me and I said, you know what? It's very nice of Deb, but I'm not interested. I'm doing this fucking play about the women of Lockerbie. Remember the tragedy over Lockerbie? Yeah. And so Deb ended up calling me. Yeah. And she's like, you just got to read for it. And I said, fine. <laughs> and he faxed me and the fax rolled paper. Yeah. To my our apartment that we had down in in Tribeca at the time, and I took the subway up to read, you know, to go to some office, of, yeah, um, the West Side, and
0: be I, put on tape yeah. by an assistant, yeah.
2: yeah. And I just read the side. I just got the sides. I don't even have the script. Yeah, I, I might have had the script, but I, I didn't read it. I was yeah. like, fuck that. I'll read the sides. Yeah, put it on tape. Don't think about it. <laughs> I get a call the next morning. They're like, great. They want you to fly out to California, and they're going to make a test deal. And I'm like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's funny when
0: you don't give a shit.
2: Yeah. You're like, all right, all right. I'll not call. only do I not give a shit, yeah. I go to meet my buddy Giles, who's my my oldest buddy lives here now. And yeah. Pete Giles, he and I are at McManus. He's still drinking at the time. Yeah. So it's like Friday at one, and he's and we're playing video golf. We played golden tea for hours. Yeah. The amount of money and time I put into golden tea, <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: I could have gone to law school twice.
0: <laughs> do you golf in real life?
2: I do, but my golf, you know, these yeah. days I hurt my knees. Yeah. I'm old. I'm old. But... Uh, so I'm playing video golf. I'm playing Golden Tee at McManus with Giles, and Prince Appado calls me again. He's like, "Listen, man, you gotta you gotta go home and sign your test deal because you know you sign a test deal before you audition your final test. Sure, you, they work out your contract, and then you go before network. You go before network so that if they want you, yeah. you can't go. Great, so my price is double. Right, I get it. You've already made your. Yeah, deal. I've been in that situation. Yeah. It so, makes
0: it. It makes the. It makes this sort of. That fucking when you got to go in that room full of the network people and everything else and you've signed a test deal it's just the worst fucking experience it's the
2: worst and, and if you think about it if you're an out-of-work actor who doesn't have a lot of dough you've now got the extra carrot of oh you could make x amount of money yeah. if you do this right yeah. and if you don't your year is fucked yeah it's terrible and you pay your own flights yeah all that shit yeah so i go so he keeps calling me have you i'll go home and i'll sign it the deal was The studio couldn't look at my tape until I signed my test deal. Mm. And they keep calling. And I go, Pete, if they keep calling, they've already looked at it. Yeah, I go, why aren't you renegotiating the deal? You fucking, like, come on. Anyway, I go home, I sign it. I fly out to California. I I remember so well that weekend I have a cold. Uh, I felt crappy. It was like February, late February, uh, 2003. And uh, I hang out. I see Brian Callen. Yeah, uh, I see him there, and it's uh, it's like a work session with the Russo brothers and Mitch, and Brian and I read with each other out in the hall at the old TV building over at, at the Fox lot. And Brian says to me, "He's like, you're going to get this." I wouldn't read it, that. I said, like, "No fucking way." He's like, "Yeah." And I, I was so jaded. I was like, "Not happening." Yeah. I go in. I work with those guys. It goes kind of okay, fine. I leave it. I'm sick enough that I don't even. Again, I still don't care. Yeah and you hadn't read the script. And at this point I maybe had read the script, yeah. but like whatever. Do you re- remember liking it or thinking it was Yes, it was it was good. Yeah. It it was very good. But it it also had it had Mitch had written like a disclaimer on the front on the cover letter. Yeah. Saying this is going to be shot handheld. There're going to be no it's not going to be uh, business as usual, no trailers, it's yeah. going to be all guerrilla style, I remember thinking, fuck you, dude. Yeah. Um what do you think this is? Art? <laughs> and uh, it's commerce, man. <laughs> And I go in <laughs> Jaded So jaded TV already jaded. Yeah. TV jaded TV 33 year old jaded Yeah I go in Monday morning And I re- And I, Tony Hale was out there too Who uh, played Buster And his wife Martel At the time was a makeup artist on SNL I knew Tony a little bit Yeah He and I read The same morning Also with Jessica Walter Whom I'd done my first pilot with Kevin Pollack uh-huh. who, She played the mom on Arrested She and I had done that together it was just like a weird kind of everything coming together, and I go in and I test, and and I got the show, um,
0: and that doesn't sound menacing, does it? It's no, just, no okay, good.
2: If they're looking for anybody out here, it's you, yeah, by yeah. the way. <laughs> um, and, yeah, it uh, goes well. And I stayed, I stayed in California because we, we had we did a table read that night. And I stayed because we hit over the course of the next few weeks we just made the Did they cast you? Like, or like, yeah, I go in I remember going in right before I go in, Mitch is there and he says, um <clears throat> he's like, You're gonna get this. <laughs> now it's his show and I go, Don't say that. Yeah. And it was I was reading against um uh Alan Ruck. Yeah. This guy, I remember from Ferris Bueller's and he was on Spin City. Yeah, 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 yeah. Good actor. Yeah, he's funny, yeah. Alan and Rain Wilson. Yeah. Alan goes, I go in first. uh, Then I come out and I go, again, I'm sick. I go in to like blow my nose and wash my hands. I feel terrible. Then Alan comes out in that time. Yeah. And then they, and then Mitch and everybody comes out. Mitch is like, you got it to, to me. Yeah. Alan's barely left and Rain is still sitting in the thing. And I've been in his position. He's fine now. Yeah. But I've been in that position so many times when you're not the guy. Yeah. And I said to Mitch, hey, hey. I didn't. I, I knew Rain to say hi. I said, "Hey, that guy's still there. Go and t- let him know, or get him out of here before we celebrate." I d- I can't. I felt too badly. But about But you had already read. He they didn't even read him. But you, you already. Done. I'd already right, read. Yeah. We did. I read alone, and then we did a group scene with with Tony and Jessica uh-huh. and Jason. Uh huh. Um, and it was like it's so funny looking back on that now. And Mitch in those moments, like Mitch and I are, you know, has been one of my best. friends friends of my life and i we still work together and yeah you know he produces our show flaked with us and and he's just such a part of my life and jason is from that moment on we were we we've been like brothers it's uh it's so funny to look back at that actual day yeah Yeah. I mean, you
0: guys sort of reinvented television i mean it was a completely new thing people fucking love it cross is hilarious everyone's hilarious
2: yeah it was weird it was such a funny like when we first started i knew david a little bit from new york yeah um not well and and but uh we started shooting that show and immediately from the first time we did like a big group scene, it felt different. Um, and Mitch is such a brilliant guy and he's a brilliant writer. Um, he's probably the funniest person I've ever known. You just knew that we were doing something that was, you know, the writing was so good and that, the, that it was funny. Um, but at the same time, that whole first fall before it started to air it didn't air until November we started yeah. shooting in august uh we were making it in a vacuum and and it was odd and you, you a you knew it was different we knew it was different but there was no reaction to it yet. Yeah. so we were just making episodes yeah, yeah. and um and there was there was something kind of freeing about that uh, there was no pressure to sure do it one way or the other um and then when people uh started reacting in and, and liking it in mm. the I never even thought about shit like reviews because I was so concerned with just trying to
0: get a fucking job for so long. Right. That that was so far down the fucking right road, and you weren't necessarily as invested in the show. You were working. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't on you. No, it wasn't at all. Yeah. And uh, and so and then and then
2: it sort of started to pick up steam. And, Became a phenomenon. I guess. Yeah. Definitely. But, but at the same time. Don't forget, we had zero ratings. Yeah. So, th- you know, we were constantly, every Monday morning, uh, Bateman and I would be like sort of pouring through the ratings and trying to like, hey, yeah. we went up a 10th and, <laughs> and, <laughs> and girls 18 to 19. The worst. What do you The do fucking, yeah. the worst.
0: He's a good guy. I talked to him.
2: Bateman's the best. Yeah. Um, and I got to have so many memories of just him sitting in his little shit trailer with the door open. Wearing his stupid Michael yeah costume, pages yeah. back okay. then it was paper yeah going over the ratings yeah oh really yeah hey, freaking look. out yeah. yeah yeah
0: yeah I got something good we're just holding on to any so crime. how did it ultimately you know stay on the air
2: we got nominated that first it started airing in November yeah and then in December out of the blue we got nominated for a Golden Globe right and we were like holy shit Golden Globe yeah and we get to go yeah hang out uh it was so far removed from w- everything where i was at yeah um i mean i guess i mean that's not entirely true amy was doing snl so she was kind of in a high profile thing but for me it would just seemed like that was you know her game. Yeah. and uh and then after the first season we got nominated for a bunch of emmys yeah. and then we won uh the the emmy for best best comedy uh and that was so gratifying. I remember before the ceremony, mm. Cross saying, "If we win, yeah. we're on the same road. We should get up, celebrate with each. You know, ah, yeah. walk out to the aisle, and then go the other way out the theater and get in our cars and leave." <laughs> and I was like, "That's yes, hilarious." Yeah. I remember Amy saying to me, "Don't listen to Cross. <laughs> you cannot do that." Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was very validating it was such a thrill
0: yeah that's great and then and then the new the 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 ones you did a couple of years ago went over well everyone was excited
2: yeah uh, there were people who had complaints you know there were a number of reasons that we that mitch constructed those shows the way he did yeah um some of it had to do with uh schedule of uh-huh. getting everybody back yeah, on yeah board. um but i feel like when you go back you know the 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 format was that each character had their own episode. some have a uh, multiple episodes, and then everything kind of sort of you yeah know, you could follow everything kind of collapsed on itself, and the storylines were all intertwined. I feel like when you actually go back and look at it as a whole it 's a pretty masterful it's very complex, yeah, what he did, and I spent some time in in the writer's room on that, and it was. It was like a uh, like a code breaking room in, from World War Two. I'm not kidding. It was different colored index cards with piece, different colored pieces of string, uh, sort of denoting character or cause and effect and stuff going back and forth. It was insanity. Yeah, and it was like such a window into Mitch's brain, which is
0: uh, scrambled eggs. Wow, but yeah, but he pulls it together. He makes oh, the omelet. He really does, uh, honestly. So what now? He produces flake. Is that now? Is that your? That's your show. Yeah. You created it. Yes. Um, and it's sort of based on... It, it. Well, it's not really based on reality
2: right. in the sense that the, that story is fictitious. Um, but you're hip to
0: being fucked up.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm hip to being fucked up and I'm hip to... I decided that I wanted to kind of make something that was... Um, I like the idea initially of a guy. I, I, I've always liked the idea of a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, and so I remember seeing somebody I know being in Venice, and everybody stopping him on the corner, and he's in the program, and everybody's like, "Hey, man, what's up?" And like, it was like a business guy yeah. and a fucking homeless dude. Yeah, and I was like, "How the fuck do you know everybody? Like, what is your deal?" Right. And I it struck me as being kind of funny, and that and Venice is, I love Venice, and I've lived there on and off over the years, and. It is it is a place where people go to reinvent themselves. Uh-huh. Um, truly. Like, you can just go out there and sort of adopt a persona. Right. And, you know, we have a character in, in the show. We we didn't really get into it, but I, you know, there was a guy years ago who we knew. His name was Stefan, and then somebody else said, we, we were talking about Stefan. They said, um, oh, I I went to high school with him. You mean Steven? Yeah. <laughs> and we're like holy shit that's when you're 25 and you just decide i'm gonna call myself stefan and everybody else is gonna go and no none of these people know me they don't know my story right and you can create this identity and so i i like that um and i think that in a lot of ways i wanted to get into the idea of who we are versus who we really are versus who we show the world right um and that kind of fascinated me yeah um on just on a personal level uh you know, I, I started it as a sort of an exploration of things I didn't like about other people. Um, number one, sort of uh, dishonesty and lying. Yeah. And I ended up, it got very sort of murky and and I kind of it also became an exploration of things I
0: didn't like about myself. Sure. At the same time. Yeah. Um, it's so funny because that process of like, you know those resentments that you have against others like it, sometimes it can take a while for you to realize like oh this isn't like we were talking about before i'm having a conversation with myself
2: yeah yeah absolutely yeah and it was it was tough i i it wasn't until it wasn't until i was deep in the process of my my writing partner mark chappell is an englishman who yeah. wrote with i met him through cross years ago he wrote todd margaret with oh yeah with, you're on Todd Margaret. yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and and so I, that's how i met Chappie. Um and who's a Oxford-educated Englishman who would never been to Venice before. Uh-huh. Um, and he and I just pitched this idea to him one night. I was in London, and he was like, yeah, it sounds great. And we just started writing an outline the next day, and he came over here and immersed himself. He's the greatest partner I could ever ask for. Uh, as he and I wrote every episode of the first season, and as we were doing it, it started to get heavier and heavier. Yeah. And it wasn't until I was in the middle of that process I realized what was going on, and you know there's a the, at the center of it is this guy chip who is this kind of big fish in a small pond who's created this persona for himself who's created this kind of cool identity yeah um and at the heart of it he is a sober guy who's helping people i also like the idea of a guy who's he's helping people by selling this this life and this thing and yet he's not necessarily adhering to it himself right but it still works on other people. So is he a bad person? Oh, yeah. kind of doing the right thing.
0: Well, I mean, it's, that's where you get into a
2: loop, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, what well, you get into
0: and people say, well, that's a pretty simplistic way to look at it, but that life is complicated, man. Right, there, it is. There, it uh, is.
2: There's no black and white answer.
0: Well, right. And also, like, you know, I think about that stuff a lot. Like, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I can show up for people, but sometimes in my personal life, I'm a, I'm a fucking, you know, depressed, angry dick. Yeah but does that what does that mean exactly that's just like you know people are a little complicated yeah yeah people are complicated and 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 if the good column outweighs the bad column you're you're doing okay 100 percent. yeah and if you can
2: try to own the shit that you've done and go okay fuck i need to
0: try to be better Then, i guess that's all you can do do. Now what now where are you at now that you're going about to drop the second season? Yeah, so we
2: we did the first season and then uh we started shooting the se- that came out last March and then we shot the
0: second season. We brought more writers on this year. Um and now do you like do you picture an arc cuz like my experience in writing television, I always assume that you know that these people that write these series, you know, can see the whole thing through four or five seasons or eight seasons uh i didn't have that experience are you (laughs) well we did you
2: know it's funny uh one of the one of the criticisms of the first season was that oh these guys here you have these guys in their mid-40s living in venice and you're like a
0: self help guy
2: kind of yeah he's he's just a he's a big sort of like program guy right and who, but who, as we find out, he kind of uses it a lot to excuse
0: himself of his own behavior in his real life, like anybody uses a spiritual system, yes, <laughs> that affords you the ability to be forgiven, yes, a hundred percent, yeah, uh,
2: you know, yeah, my God is very forgiving, uh, no kidding, yeah, he forget your God forgave you, that's <laughs> what a fucking what a coincidence, yeah, yeah, uh, and <laughs> we, I. You know we always had this I always pictured that there would be a sort of a fallout to what his behavior in in the first season um and i was never it was never an endorsement of that kind of character yeah uh, if we never got to make a second season, it might have seemed that way, but we always knew where we wanted to where we wanted to go and i'm not there is a a version of going beyond it i'm not sure if it's necessarily something i want to do it' it's been a very trying experience for me on a lot of different levels. Um, like what? Well, because just uh, on, a, on a purely sort of logistical level, you know, writing it um, yeah. and lot acting in it and show running. Mark and I yeah. run it. Yeah. And, you know, every decision, every fucking minuscule decision we have to make. Yeah. And sometimes you just want to
0: act. Yeah. And <laughs> sometimes you just
2: want to show up. <laughs> yeah. Not like, oh, yeah, no, sorry, hang on. The cup should be like this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. thing should be like this. Let me this. see. Let me
0: see. What do you got in the camera? Yeah. What's in it? What's the. Okay.
2: You know, yeah. constantly. Um so there's that, and also just the subject matter itself. It got I got really close to the bone last year, and I ended up kind of, as a result, uh, kind of blurring the lines. And I'm like, did I do it because I wanted to get closer? Is it is this method acting bringing it back to Strasburg? Yeah. Was I trying to get closer to what was going on? Yeah. Or was I did I write it as an excuse to do that? You yeah. Know? I still don't know.
0: Uh, so you're 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 challenging yourself in ways you didn't think. One hundred percent. Yeah, I, this is
2: not how I how I envision my what I envision doing to myself at age 45, right. 46. There's not.
0: There's not. You can't just phone it in. No, <laughs> you cannot. And it's, you've been through a certain amount of life shit to where you're like, this guy's too close to me. Yeah. Like, am I revealing too much about myself? One hundred percent.
2: Yeah, one hundred percent. It got. It got really. I. It, it put me in a nervous space for a while, which <laughs> yeah. is probably good. I sure. think in the long run. Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, uh, you know, uh, I have been through a lot of shit and a lot of people, you know, have been through way worse shit than I have. But, but I've been in my own way, been through my own shit. And, uh, I'm sort of at a place now where maybe it's time to lay this one down, Mm -hmm. uh, and let it be. But I'm happy with what we did. We had some great writers this year and, um, Who you know, Mark and I still wrote and I directed this year for the first time, which I've never done. Yeah. You got to do that when you
0: got the opportunity.
2: Yeah. I've, I've never been one of those people who's supposed that I can do it. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I'd be any good at it, you know.
0: Well, usually, like when the the thing that you're afforded when you're you know in the second season of your own show is you know you've got a DP that knows what he's doing and and usually you know you can be guided. It's very hard to direct and act because you got to keep running back to the playback machine, yeah. and do another take. But but it's like it's like popping your cherry. You got to do it.
2: Yeah, and and you know,
0: luckily I have uh, Chappy with me, Mark. And, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, it was it was challenging. It's cool because now, like at least you know you're in the guild, and if you want to direct something that's not you, yeah, you can try it. Yeah, it's good. I've thought about it, uh, but who knows? Yeah, and now your personal life—you okay? You and the kids are good and great. You you get along with Amy, or yeah, yeah, it's worked out. It leveled worked
2: out. Yeah, everything leveled off, and
0: everything's good, and and uh, you know, co-parenting like it's essential that you know that shit levels off
2: yeah I, you know what that shit was to be honest that shit was always level oh good yeah it's always been about the kids good. and um they're everything for me and, and and for her starts uh every day is you know the kids happiness yeah and that's it you know and it, that comes to work and everybody i work with and everybody i do things with they all know that that's First and foremost, and um, and then everything else is kind of falls in line after that. Everything else is gravy. Yeah, schedule. I I look at everything as it takes me away from my kids. Every yeah. job, every meeting, every everything. Yeah, and so it better be worth it. And uh, sobriety solid. Sobriety
0: solid took me a minute. Yeah, um, actually, not really, but it took me a minute to sort of. But you had a program. I mean, like, you know, when you, when you did go out, you knew where you had to go back to? A million percent. <laughs>
2: I That's the worst part, or the best part. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's always there. Yeah, and you can't, you sort of like, you know. Yeah, I had enough in me to know, uh, <laughs> as you're doing it, you, like, you can't even like, really enjoy it.
0: No, there's no way, I can't imagine no. it. I no. can't imagine
2: it. And the best part is, you know, like, best slash worst part is my friends uh, in, in sobriety who are great, who would just be like, okay, man, yeah. <laughs> Okay. And I'm like, oh, fuck You're you. You're trying he to knows.
0: justify it? Oh, i uh, Yeah, yeah. No, I'm good now. I'm
2: good now. I mean, Everything's you know, I, good. I mean,
0: I you, know, I... you know, I I did some time. You know, I got it. I got it.
2: Yeah. And they're like, no, okay, like, man. We'll see you All next. right, we'll wait. Yeah. I'm well. going to be right here. We got a seat safe for you. And it's funny. Now, my sort of feeling about it is is much more like, God, what a jackass I was. But, you know,
0: again... Hey, you, at least you didn't die.
2: Yes. At least I didn't die and... I I consider myself, in that sense, very lucky. I
0: like It's like, to me, that's the most frightening thing, you know, having 17 years and you see these guys that go out after, like, that long and, they, like, they don't, it's not good. No. <laughs> it doesn't. It, well, that's the thing. I, I knew, again, I knew
2: exactly wh- where that goes, you know, and I've seen it enough and yeah. I've been around enough guys and I've been around uh, the rooms long enough to know
0: the natural progression
2: it might be okay today yeah here's where it goes right So yeah.
0: good well i'm glad you're back and i'm glad things are working out and i'm uh, looking forward to the new thing thanks man so that was will arnett it was nice talking to him and uh we're still here i believe i will play some guitar but not think about it too much hold on a second